The very first thing I want to bring, and I promise I'm going to let you sit in a second. The very first thing I want to point out and bring reference to is Paul's reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we need to understand these foundational principles before I can get into the message that Christ has for us today. First, let's understand the power of the Holy Spirit. When I think of the power of the Holy Spirit, I think of the power to perform miracles, to do, to do this, to do that, uh, the miracle to heal, to, tra to transform, to change people's lives. But in this verse, Paul is not speaking of that kind of power. Instead, he is talking about a power given to us or a strength given to us by the Spirit so that we can know and understand God. So understand that the Holy Spirit or the power of the Spirit in this scripture is to reference a necessity or something that we need in order to understand the love of God. Without the Holy Spirit, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then unfortunately you're not going to be able to understand this message. You will not be able to understand the, the, the love of the Lord, which is why we pray people through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Which brings me to one more point before we start. The love of God is beyond human knowledge. I believe it's the, the second to last verse or the last verse that talks about the love of God that is beyond human knowledge. So what we're talking about today is plainly telling us that us by ourselves, without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand. We're going to learn today something that is unknowable, something that might seem impossible to some people. Um, and my prayer today is that through the Holy Spirit, um, Christ guides us and your hearts are open to what he has to teach us today. Amen. While we're standing, can you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we welcome you in this place, Jesus. Lord, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit right now in this place, Father, that you reach the hearts, the minds, the ears, the eyes, Lord Jesus, your body, God. We are your body. We are your bride. We are your children, Father. And I pray right now that your power of the Holy Spirit come upon us, Jesus, that it be activated in each person here today that is your child that has received the Holy Spirit, Father, that we be able to eat from your word, learn from you, Lord God. For what you have to teach us today is important, Jesus. Just as any other lesson, Lord, we pray that it not fall upon deaf ears or bad soil, Father, but that we be rooted and grounded in you, that this word, Lord God, be planted, and that your will be done. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. You may have your seats. So this scripture and the context of Ephesians, it's one of my favorite books. We're talking about, and what I'm going to be talking about is love, obviously, and the test of love. The context of Ephesians is, uh, it's written by Paul. Um, Paul spent three years with the Ephesians um, studying, and actually the Bible, he talks mostly about praying for them for three steadfast years without ceasing. He prayed and prayed and prayed for the Ephesians. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time praying for 15 minutes, let alone three years. So we can already learn from Paul in that instance that he, the time that he spent here in Ephesus, he prayed for them for three years. What I find fascinating is that there are many prayers, I'm sure, that he prayed throughout those three years. This is the one that was written down, or one of the ones that was written down, um, and for us to be able to read and learn from. If the Lord found it important enough to put in his word, then I find it important enough for my life. Paul modeled this prayer because this prayer was not just any simple prayer or, I don't know, just something to be ignored, but it was a prayer of purpose. Many of us today are seeking and would do anything to find our purpose. Or maybe some of us have found our purpose, um, 
or think we found our purpose and we're still not fulfilled. Um, I get that question asked to me many a times. How do you find your purpose? How do you know what God wants for you? And it's, it's very easily found in the scripture. Okay, so I first want to uh, point out in the beginning uh, of this prayer, he says, um, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus. I found it very interesting that Paul started off his prayer by bowing his knees. There's several ways to pray in the Bible, one of which we're very familiar with is standing and raising your hands as a sign of surrender. But Paul decided and chose for this specific prayer to bow his knees, which symbolizes humility. So when he comes to God wanting to know about his love, when he comes to God wanting to have a life transformed or changed, or even just talking to him about this subject, he immediately comes to him first and foremost in humility. My knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, he said. What does that mean? He goes to the source. Why is that important? Because at times we have a tendency to look at the principle or simply like words of God besides the person. Sometimes as Christians, we can confuse what we think is the word of God for what is our word and our opinion. So we can already see first he's going to God in humility. And second, he's going straight to the source. That is the very beginning of his prayer. He's not worried about what Jared thinks or what Brianna's feeling or what Isaac thinks or what Mike thinks. He's immediately going, you know what? I humble myself before the source. I humble myself before the God of all creation because I know that that's where I'm going to find the answer. Can we agree that Jesus is the answer? Okay, he goes to the source. Why is that important? I explained. (laughs) People are willing to fight, stab, and get mad over the principles and the orthodox of the church. Um, And I say that because I I failed to mention in Ephesus, and we're going to read right now, we're going to jump into Revelation. Um, Ephesus was praised for many things. It was a church uh, that was looked upon as a great church, an awesome church, because they were full of works, because they did a lot for the the work of the Lord, um, because basically for their works. They persevered, they were strong, um, and they held together. They were tiny but mighty. And, uh, but they did have a problem. That's us. Amen. I believe this word is for us. Uh, There was a problem, though. One of the things that Ephesus struggled with, and like I said, I'm going to prove it to you by reading in Revelation, is they struggled with principles and orthodoxy. If you look up the word orthodoxy, because I wasn't quite sure exactly what it meant, it means the truth. So they struggled and they constantly fought and toiled over what is the truth. They fought over the principles. Well, your skirt should be this length. Well, your hair should look like this. Well, you should dress like this. Well, you should act like this. Well, why aren't you attending the men's services? Why aren't you attending the women's services? Why aren't you doing what the youth asked of you? They mostly focused on principles. They mostly focused on the rules, which is not entirely bad because we need rules. Amen? We need regulations. Amen? Amen. I find that to be true in our church today. Maybe not this church, right? Isn't that what Pastor Ray says? Some other church, not this church. People are willing to fight, to stab, to get mad over the principles of the orthodox of the church. They're willing to act a fool because in their minds they say Jesus is worth it, right? I should be willing to act crazy for him. I should be willing to step out and yell at Rose because she's not doing what's right in the eyes of Jesus. Like I said, that's not entirely wrong. God is not a respecter of persons, we understand that hopefully, but he is a respecter of principles. Christ lives and dies by principles in the church. We can't just be all about love, okay? This message is very much about love, 
But I very much felt in my spirit that there's going to be somebody here that says, okay, but if we're all about love, then it's going to be a wishy-washy church, and it's just that hippie love that just doesn't go anywhere. And you're right. This is why I'm saying, and please hear me out, we do need principles. Love is not all you need. We do need principles uh, because that is the backbone. Imagine the human body. And we'll say that love is your heart and the law or the principles and the orthodox, the truth, is your backbone. If I am a body, a skeletal system, completely whole but without a heart, am I going to be alive? No, I'm dead. I'm just a bunch of bones. But if I just have a heart and you rip out my skeletal system, the law or principles of the church, what happens to my body? I'm completely flimsy. I cannot stand. I have no backbone. So both are needed in, in the house of God, in Christianity. I'm glad you agree with me. Another example of this, or point I want to make so that we can understand what God has for us today in regards to principles and the love. Principles are like features. If I look at Judah, I understand his distinct features. I know that that is Judah and not Jared Barajas because he has blonde hair, colored eyes, glasses. He has his nose. He has his mouth. He has his features. Amen? The same is with the church. The church has features. It has principles and truth. And if you take those away, then it is no longer the church. So we absolutely need both sides. Okay? Another example is we might do some things that social services do. Right? I'm a social worker by trade. And a lot of what I did at my job and got paid for was helping people, was counseling, was being able to use certain spirit-filled examples. But just because we, we do certain things that my social service did doesn't make us Jewish Family Children's Services. Just because we feed the hungry doesn't make us a food bank or, or a, a, a kitchen, right? So we have distinct, though there are some things that the world does that looks like us, that is the world and we are the church. There is a separation. Because I've also heard that argument to where people make that, hey, well, the world does that, you know, so what's the difference? We're supposed to not look like the world. That is true. We need to be grounded in that we are the church, we are the body, we are the bride. So Paul goes to the source and challenges the principles. He goes to the source and says, look, Ephesus, you guys have some issues. You're fighting for the truth. You're fighting for principles. You're fighting for orthodoxy. But if you'll turn your Bibles with me to Revelation 2, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, it says, to the church of Ephesus. So this is specifically for the church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deed, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them to be false. So here, the church of Ephesus is being praised. Look, you persevered. Look, you guys are awesome. You work real hard. You guys were even able to expose false prophets and false apostles among you. That's great. That means you're able to understand and discern. Good job. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, so they're strong and steadfast. But then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. So this is a rebuke. 
Christ is saying, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in this portion of Scripture, God is saying, look, you're one of the seven churches. I have you here. I have your lampstand. I have you standing here. As This is your trophy. Good job. You guys are steadfast. You guys are doing what's right, except you need to repent. Except you forgot about the very thing that makes you mine. So all of that hard work is really for nothing if, you, if you've forgotten my love, if you've forgotten who you are at the core and who I am at the core, which is love God. That's the very first step. As I was reading this, I began to think, are people given for the law or is law given for the people? Did Christ die for rules or did he die for his people? And how do we live? If we are Christians, Christ-like, apostolic, to be like the apostles, then we should be doing exactly what Christ did. So I ask you again, did he die for laws and regulations? Or did he die for his people? So what should we be doing? How should we be treating others? Should we be dying and fighting over this and that? And the way he looks and the way she looks or the way he treated me and the way she treated me? Or should we, or should we be willing to die for one another? Do anything, whatever it costs, pay the price for one another. I was listening to T.D. Jakes the other day and he was giving uh, an example that he was being interviewed uh, for something, it was called Sparkle or something like that in the UK. And he was talking about his love for people, his love for his kids. And um, in the article, the journalist tried to poke at him and said, well, I understand you went through this, this, and this with your kids. I understand that kind of all hell broke loose in your house and that must have been real tough. And he said that his first reaction was no, it actually wasn't that tough. And the journalist was surprised and said, oh no, and why is that? And he said, it, it's, it's only tough if you care more about your reputation and your image than your child. And so for me, it was no big deal. Because I was willing to put my congregation's opinion of my children aside. I was willing to put the criticism and the scandal and everything aside and go up to my kid and say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? How's your soul? How's your heart? Because I care more about you than what other people say. I care more about you than the rules that are there for our, in our church. Amen. And again, that's not to say that he's trying to break the rules, but simply he's willing to go out of his way to care for that person that God has gifted him with. I ask God to be very raw with me and to be very real when speaking to me and giving me this message. And there was examples that came to my heart that I really feel were from God, and it's not to poke and prod at anyone, but it's to really get us to think, and that's what I ask of you today, is not to scream and shout, is not to just say amen to make me feel better, but it's to ask yourself genuinely and honestly, is there that first piece in your life? Love God. What is more important to us in this church, the visitor, the soul that comes in, or the attendance? 
Because, yeah, how is somebody going to receive if they attend? But do we backlash and, 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 re, and lash out at somebody just because they didn't come or just because they said something or just because they didn't do what we wanted them to do? And it goes both ways. If all of us, I've said this so many times to the youth from the pulpit, if all of us just focus on our sin, hate the sin, yes, hate sin, hate how disgusting it is, but focus on our sin within and the love of others, what would this church look like? What would Christianity look like? Because isn't that how God created us to live? Isn't that how he created us to be, to hate the very sin within us, to make sure that Janine is hand in hand with me as we're flying up to heaven? Or is it more important to us what this church looks like and the image that it withholds? I remember talking to pastor one time and he told me that his pastor, Brother Solomon, was mocked for many years and known as the pastor of the second chance. I was like, how is that a bad thing? I'm sorry, I missed something. Because from what I understand, God is the God of the 700th chance. So why is the second chance? I'm, I'm... I'm at a loss of words. I would love it if somebody was able to look at Lighthouse and say, this is the church of a second, of a third, of a fifth, of a sixth chance. I would love it if somebody could walk in and not just say how nice everybody is, but how genuinely loving everyone is. That Pastor Chris is going through hell and high water in his life, but guess what? There he was at my house praying for my wife because she has cancer. The love of God looks like something. The love of God looks like something to us personally and outwardly as well. Love gives itself away. It doesn't pick apart the puny details and fight unnecessary fights, but it's willing to go above and beyond for people, just as Christ did and does go above and beyond for us. Listen, God gives us the word of God. He's given us this scripture, this prayer by Paul, not just because Paul was a smarty pants, not just because it sounded great, but he gave us his word for a reason, because it has all the answers. But why would we need answers? What's the point of having a book full of answers? Because after teaching comes testing. Because God teaches us these, re- these things for a reason, God gives us these answers for a reason, and that's because at some point you're going to go through a test. And right now in particular, regarding this scripture, I'm talking about a love test. If you were tested right now, would you pass or fail? If God were to look at just the last year or the last two months, would he say, good job, my faithful servant, for you have truly loved my people, for you have truly taken care of the young ladies that are in your youth group, for you have truly taken care of the the kids that I have blessed you with? Because this is what I went through last night. And as I was studying, my husband is my witness. I had written a six-page sermon already, like that was done. I spent over eight hours on it. And I had him read it, and usually, to be honest, I hate him reading my sermons because he always throws in stuff that just throws me off, and I'm like, Felix, that's not even what I'm teaching about, so just don't read it anymore. It confuses me. It does. So anyway, I took a risk, and I was like, hey, read this. And it took him a while because it was genuinely six pages written, like, all the way out, word for word. And uh, APA, I quoted all my sources, social work. that was a fist bump. Uh, but anyways, he read it, and he, he kind of just sat back. And this is like at midnight. The baby's already asleep for two hours, which is like the worst because he's going to get up in like six hours. So that means I get four hours of sleep. So anyways, he's reading it, and I'm like, come on, say it's great, say it's great. And he's like, are you mad at someone? 
And I was like, what? <laughs> no. And he was like, this just doesn't seem like you. This just doesn't seem. He's like, okay, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I take it back. He's like, I feel like there's parts of God and parts of Brianna Calero in there. And I would just rewrite the whole thing. And I was like, you know what? Where's the divorce papers? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Till death do us part. No, but honestly, I went there. Um, honestly, as I was writing this lesson, I was, I was on fire and I was feeling it. And I'm like, yeah, the love of God, one of, the, one of my favorite things to teach. And legit, at midnight, God was like, this is you. This is not my love. Like you, as my speaker, as my messenger, are supposed to be writing my words as my scribe. And half of that is you. So I went to the place where all ideas are found, the shower. And I just was like, you know what, I'm going to bed. I'm going to take a shower, I'm going to go to bed. And hopefully Theo wakes me up at 6 in the morning and, you know, we'll get going. So I go to sleep. I wake up. And I'm looking at my husband because Theo's crying. And I'm like, are you going to get the baby? Because he promised me he'd get the baby in the morning. And he's sound asleep. And I'm like, wake up and get Theo. I end up having to take care of Theo myself because I love my husband. And... Um, I was so worried coming here. And I tell you this, I, I know you've heard pastors say this, but this is not like me. I like to prepare. I like to be by the book. I like to legit have APA format and know who my sources are and where I'm reading from. And if I seem a little scattered today, it's because that's God's will for, for my life, and he's ministering to me right now as well. But I realized that I had to repent. And one little part that I missed out on is I was bawling my eyes in the shower. And I was just telling him, I'm sorry. And I realized that I have forgotten the love. What he spoke in Revelation about Ephesus, I see this as our church. And this is just me being honest. I don't want to say other churches. I do want to say this church. Because how are we going to learn if we can't expose our weaknesses, if we can't be true to who we really are in the bad and in the good? Amen. We wouldn't need God, right? God died for people because we need him. We need his salvation. We already had his law. We already had rules. So why did he die? He wouldn't have needed to die if we didn't need him. So as I was repenting and just bawling my eyes out, I just kept saying, I'm sorry. Because I know who I was when I started. I would always call myself the love child. It was like a really weird thing that I would say about myself. And it was because I really felt like I was forged from love. My ministry was birthed and completely blossomed by love. And I didn't understand it. After studying this, I understood the actual principles that happened. But I was just working in it. I was just flowing in it. And I just loved God. I could look at somebody that made a mistake and say, stand up. I'll help you. I could look at somebody that has fallen and hurt me and forsaken me and said, it's okay, I forgive you, right? I could see life's falling apart and genuinely feel brokenness for that person because I didn't want to see them suffer because I felt so strongly in my heart that I want to see Jerry Romero and his family saved, yeah. that I want to see Willie back in this church. I could honestly, truly say that and do whatever it took. And granted, life happens, right? I can't just go marching down the street with my four-month-old in 120-degree weather, that's not, the, that's not the point. But the point is that in Revelation, God is saying, look, I'm willing to take your lampstand. I'm willing to take that light, that representation of your church, and completely throw it out and take it away. 
He was willing to completely disregard Ephesus of their good works, of all the Indian fry bread that they sold, of all the cupcakes that they made, of all the youth services that they did, because they lost the very love, the very core of who they were, because they were more caught up in fighting with each other, ministers against ministers, pastors against pastors, the people rising up and criticizing, all for what? The demise of their church. You reap what you sow. Love God. Is this love? If God was to give us a test right now, who would pass and who would fail? Back to my point. Why does God give us the word? Because it has the answers. After teaching comes testing. That's why we pay attention. That's one of the reasons why we study. That's why we come to church, right? Hopefully to get closer to God. Hopefully to learn about him, to know him. Ephesus had a lot of things right. They passed many other tests, A, 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 but they forgot what truly, what love truly looked like. And God told them to repent. They reflected God's principles, but they did not reflect his love. Back to the scripture, Paul is praying for the inner man. Let's be honest, a lot of us are really great at strengthening our outer man. I am, I am at fault for that as well. When it comes to our outer man, I can speak as a woman because I am one. We'll go to a salon for four hours to get our hair ombre I'll go to a nail salon, which takes at least an hour for these awesome claws. We'll shop till we drop, right? We could be like pregnant as all get out, but there we are looking for new maternity clothes because we want to look cute. That's me. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about me, <laughs> right? There's men and women that will spend six hours in a gym that will get off of work being tired as can be, but darn if they're at the gym from midnight till four in the morning. What happened to the days where we had prayer vigils? Do you guys remember that? Vigilias? Who, who remembers that word? I barely had it. I just thought of it right now. <laughs> We're really good at strengthening our outer man, right? Coming in Sunday's best. Sometimes I wish I could just come in like jeans and a t-shirt. Although I know, I know, I know the rules for that, okay? I'm not. Everybody be like, Brianna said, Pastor, jeans and a t-shirt. But we spend so much time on Sunday. How many of us looked, how long were we in the mirror this morning? Fixing up our, inner, our outer man just to come to church. Like we come to church to fix up our inner man, yet we spend more time on our outer man just getting here in preparation to fix up our inner man. So if we look at the balance, which scale is heavier, inner or outer? Because if I'm being honest, I spend a whole lot more time putting on my makeup than I do reading my Bible some days. And my makeup is a daily thing. Paul prays for the inner man because he understands, he understands that that's where change happens. He understands that this is an issue of the heart, an issue of the inner man. And so I got to thinking, where are the gyms for the inner man? Where are the people who are willing to spend time, money, resources on working on their inner man? You know, pastors uh, doing these things starting in July where there's like church before church kind of, like lessons before church. And I don't say this so that everybody will come and everybody's like, oh, I better go, otherwise I'm going to look a fool. Like, no. 
But like, I'm curious to see who's willing to sacrifice because I'm already thinking like, oh my gosh, when am I going to feed Theo? And he, he's on a two, every two schedule and how is he going to nap? And I'm like, well, my baby's going to have to sacrifice right along with us because God is worth it and we're going to have to figure it out. So where are the gyms for the inner man? God began to speak to me about this church, about the, this people in particular. God spoke to me and told me that we're weary as a people, that we're tired, that people are weary because they've forgotten who he is. They've forgotten about his love. And he said, if you look in their eyes, you'll no longer see them filled with life and light, but they'll look dark and clouded. And for me, that makes sense because the Lord speaks to me a lot of times in visual ways. And I can honestly say, after being revealed these things, when I look in the eyes of his people, I oftentimes see a light snuffed out because we are weary, we are tired. Because like the church of Ephesus, we're run by events and works, and we think that that's what God wants of us. We think that somehow, maybe, if we work hard enough, he'll love us more, he'll use us more. But the fact of the matter is that God is like, yo, I love you no matter what. It's not by your works that you're saved. Did you have to do something for him to die on the cross? No. Now, that's not to excuse the person that's like, no more work, woo, we never have to do another fundraiser. No. Oh, my goodness. Remember, there's a scale, rules and regulations and love. There's a balance, okay? It's not one more than the other. You have more rules and regulation, you're a Pharisee. You have more love, you're just a useless hippie that does nothing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the truth. I love love as much as anyone could, and I understand that I can't just be all love. There has to be correction. There has to be rules. There has to be responsibility because that is the very identity of who we are as Christians, okay? Are you guys with me so far? So he started to speak to me. My people are weary because strength is not derived from principles, but strength comes and is derived from Christ. He is the source. He is love itself. So again, I ask you, you want to take the test now? Ask yourself how you're feeling in this moment. Ask yourself, what was it like getting ready for church today? Was it a drab? Were you not looking forward to coming? Were you thinking, man, another Sunday service, another week, tomorrow's Monday? If you're weary, worn out, and tired, I challenge you that you are not in love. It's a heavy word, but it's true. So open up to the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that brings knowledge and love that surpasses our understanding. What does that look like? What is a knowledge and a love that surpasses understanding? Pastor, my life is falling apart, but for some reason, I'm still here. Teacher, my child is crazy, literally. I'm going to have to like submit them to an institute. But guess what? I'm still here lifting up my hands because I know that the love of I know the love of God. I feel it in my life. I understand it and that's where strength derives from. My marriage is falling apart. My teenage daughter is pregnant. And everything inside me is still worshiping the creator of all. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. That is a love that surpasses all knowledge. It doesn't make sense. On the contrary, how are you feeling? 
My wife, my husband is driving me crazy. The love of God is strong enough to withstand anything. I say it again. The love of God is strong enough to withstand anything. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. I'm going to say that again. Rooted and grounded. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established or grounded in love. Paul is praying. I pray that you be rooted and grounded, not rooted or grounded. Sometimes such little words like and bring such power. I pray that you be rooted and grounded in love. Not rooted and grounded in strength or power or any other word that he could have think, thought of. He specifically said rooted and grounded in love. Turn to your neighbor and say rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is an arc, um, agricultural, agricultural term. It means to establish deeply, to take down in a place that you can't see. You can't get fruit without root, my friends. You cannot bear fruit if you're not rooted and established in love. It doesn't say rooted and established in knowing all the scriptures in the Bible. What does it say? Rooted and grounded in love. If you're not sunk deep, if you're not attached to love, then you are not going to bear fruit of love. Whatever you are rooted in, whatever you begin with, you start with, you, you plant, that is what you will be. I can't plant orange seeds and expect a banana tree. If I root myself and ground myself in love, then that is the fruit that I will bear. You cannot bear fruit without root. Whatever springs up in your life, let it spring up love. Now, rooted is the agri uh, agricultural term. Grounded is an architectural term. It stands for the foundation, the base point, or the beginning. We put more emphasis when you're building, they put more emphasis on the floor than anything in, in the structure. The same goes for love. It doesn't matter about the paint, the walls. If a window is broken, do we, do we knock down the whole building? No. But if there's foundational issues, you better believe there's going to be an issue. So again, Paul prays. I remember he's seeking fervently. The thing I love about Paul is he's so extreme. I mean, if we look at his life, just several years before he was committing mass murder, <laughs> right? Like, think about how extreme he is. He went from massacring women, children, men, right? Like, I don't know if we have this image in our head that it's just like, oh, Paul was like, bad Christian, nah. Like, no. He was like, what, you stand for God? Off with their heads. What, you have a child? I'm sorry, Michael, your parents love Jesus, so you're, you're done. That's who he was. And so imagine that heart, who he was, is now for Christ, stands for Christ. And so he's here for three years praying. I bow before the God, the creator, the source, that the power of his Holy Spirit be in you, not just because it's great and grand and it'll make you look pretty, but so that you can understand the knowledge of this love that no one understands, that the world looks at and wonders, what the heck is wrong with those crazy people? Why, when you can't even pay your rent, are you coming to work happy and skipping and singing of the joy of the Lord? Paul is praying that we be rooted 
and grounded and established in love. The foundation, the beginning of who we are. Not only was he praying for what grows out of us in the roots, but he was also praying for what builds upon us with the foundation. Love grows and builds, in other words, is what the scripture is saying. You want to know if you're passing the love test. Look at your life. What is growing? What are you building upon? People that go near you, do they feel exhausted and worn out? What grows? If somebody eats from your tree, do they feel disgusting inside? Or do they feel the edification of Christ? Can they look in your eyes and see the light? Can this church build upon you, your foundation? Love on love on love. Love grows and love builds. Think for a minute, church. Focus on your life, not others, not pastor, not Sister Brianna. This is for us to look inwardly. What's growing out of me? If you root and plant evil, guess what? You're going to bear evil. Love is very much alive and moving. Love brings movement and causes things to happen. If you are rooted and grounded in Christ, then when the test comes, you will not fall into lust, but you will fall into love. Now, I use this word lust not in the context that most of us might already be thinking of, which is like a sexual sin, but I use the context of lust in the sense of a selfish sin. Lust is selfish. Lust does what the flesh wants. A lot of times, because we are perverse, it does end up in some type of sexual sin, but it, it, its root, its origin is me. What do I want? What's going to make me feel good at this moment in this time? So if you're not falling into love with God, chances are you're breeding a life of lust. Chances are you're breeding a life for self. What is coming out of you? What is the fruit that you bear? What is, is Christ able to build upon you? Because each one of us here, I'm sorry if you don't like the responsibility, but as a Christian, we are each leaders. I might be a minister, and my, my, where God has me right now is at the pulpit and teaching and, and, and whatever else he has me, and maybe that's not you, but that doesn't excuse what God wants to build on you. And that's hard. I said that in my temperament lesson. Christianity is 24-7. The love of God, love God, that first piece of our DNA is 24-7. As soon as you accept the Holy Spirit into your life, you have no excuse. Because with the Holy Spirit, we get the knowledge to understand love, as long as that's what we're praying. And that's what we're seeking for. We all have a purpose in this place, in this house. And it's to get over the little minuscule things that don't matter. It's to get over lust that constantly feeds me, 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 me. And it looks different in everybody's life. But here's the thing. is chances are, and I would bet all the money in the world, that we do have issues, <laughs> that we do have weakness. So all of us here, I, I stand here before you as an imperfect person. I have things that I need to repent of. Like I mentioned to you, I was repenting last night. I was crying my eyes out and apologizing before God. And guess what? He gave me this message. 
And guess what? He's going to continue teaching me as long as I allow him to. Saying you have a teachable spirit is not the same as actually having a teachable spirit. Saying and coming to church and raising your hands, I'm sorry, you can, you can fake us all. You can put on a play for everyone around you, parents, spouses, whoever. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's God. It's his love. It's his purpose. It's still on your life. Whether you want it or not, you can choose not. You can choose lust. You can choose self and iniquity. You can. Because that's how gracious God is, that he allows you to choose what you want and still spares you. I don't understand that. It's that knowledge of love that surpasses all understanding. Because why does he spare us? Why does he continue to love me and to give to me and to teach me when my first sermon was full of self? Knowledge that surpasses. Love that surpasses. Verses 18 and 19. It says, Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp or comprehend, to take hold of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Some of us lead such empty lives. Some of us in this place feel empty. And it's, I'm not saying that so that we can shame you, because I don't believe that that's from God. We expose the weaknesses not to shame and to make fun of, but to help and build up. And so some of us feel very empty or like something's missing. I was counseling a young woman just this weekend, and she was telling me, I, I feel like there's something missing. Like, I just always need something. There's something that I don't know what it is. I just feel empty. And I explained that the only thing that can fill that void is Christ. And this scripture proves it. He wants to fill you with the fullness. How else can you say that? He wants to fill you with the fullness of his, of his glory, of his love, of his goodness, of his peace. And so if you feel empty today, again, this is a challenge to you to repent because he wants to fill you. But he won't do it until we repent. I don't know if we got that part. We have to repent. We have to, have to, have to repent. God's desire is to fill us. So I ask you today, are you 100% sure that God is crazy about you? Can you come before God and, said, and say, yes, he loves me. Not for God to love the world that he gave, but for God to love me that he gave. Because I was, as I was writing this, I started to realize, you know, I'm talking about the love of God and what it looks like and if it's in you. But then I realized... Does his people know that he actually loves you? Do you understand the love that he has for you? Because if you did, then your life wouldn't be in disarray. That's the thing. That's where all of this comes down to. What does your life look like? What is coming out of you? What is built upon you? What are you doing with your life? What does your family look like? Because all of that equals love or not. Do you understand that he loves you? Do you understand that he paid a price for you? That you, you are important. Let me see my sweet.
I understand this love so much more now. Because for 10 months, I made this life. Doctors don't count the first months. I don't know why. <laughs> so I say nine months, but it was 10 months. I carried him for 10 months. And it was my sole opportunity to feed him, to care for him, to help him grow. And it still is. Now if God told me to save Pastor Chris, I had to kill him. I could not. Now if God told me to save Andrea, you have to give up Theo, I can't. I asked, I asked Felix this morning, if it was between your life and his, whose would you want me to choose? And he's like, his, you can find another husband. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they'll be lining up at the door, duh. I think of God who forged his son who created him in his mother's womb who saw him grow to 30 years of age and was willing to brutally massacre his son for Jared and for all the things that you were going to do he was willing to sacrifice this his flesh and blood for Rose for Kathy, for Gary, for Nana. Fully understanding how ugly you would be and how many times you would forsake him. I look at the example of Judas and so many times we scoff at him and think, how could he betray Jesus? He walked with him. He learned from him. He received physical love from him. Christ washed his feet. And then I think he betrayed him once. How many times have I betrayed him? And betraying him doesn't just look like the sins I commit on my flesh and myself, but those I commit against my brothers and sisters. Because that is love. That is God. It's how we treat our pastors. It's how we treat our spouses. It's how we treat our children. Is our reputation and image worth more than the lives of our children? I wonder sometimes. Because our actions speak louder than words. And I know it's easy for me to say that because I have a four-month-old, right? Just wait till he's 16. <laughs> then I'm going to be like, you're going to hell, Teddy. <laughs> God wants to remind us today. He's giving us the church of the second chance. He's giving us a second chance. That you are so caught up on the principles, on the orthodox. You are just adding to that weight, that scale. Or maybe you just simply forgot. And you don't even care about the rules, but you don't even care about love either. And so you're just a wanderer, empty. And God is saying, I want to fill you with the fullness. I have called you to be a leader because that's who I've made you to be. But I've also called you to be filled with my love. And so like in Revelation, he warned the church and he's warning us today. Come back. Come back and remember that I loved you so much, I gave and I paid the price. People look at the cross and think, oh, it's a revelation of sin, which is 
true, fine. But I see it as a revealing of our worth. Because he loved us that much that he paid the price. Heaven went bankrupt. He gave everything that he could have given. He gave anything and everything that meant anything to him. He gave that for you. He loves you. And so we can reflect on our lives and think, man, I really screwed up. <laughs> or I really messed up. I really, my mind, my life, everything. But God is so gracious that we are here today and he's calling you to repentance.